KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with someone you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. I love to see the guys enjoy their experience. You know, that's that's what this thing's all about. Before games start, I always say, hey, I can't wait to watch you perform. Let's have some fun. You know, and that's ultimately we're playing a game. Is it serious? Absolutely. Does everybody want to win? Yes. But at the same time, you know, you want to do it with some joy and and, and gratitude for the, for the opportunity. And our guest this week, Dan Burke. He is the head men's basketball coach at Division II Wilmington University down in Delaware. And Dan, thanks so much for taking the time. Matt, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. So let's talk a little bit about we are recording this in early to mid-January. You're really in the guts of the season now. This is truly the grind here as you really just ramp into conference play? It is. It's. Um, I think it's a time when teams are starting to really latch on to an identity. And um, I think the season for a lot of teams can go one of two ways. If there's buy-in to that identity, it can go really well. You start to take off a little bit. And then if there's, you know, a few fractures in there, then it can go the other way. So uh, really exciting and, uh, you know, a bit of a nervous time for coaches everywhere. But, you know, it's why we do what we do. Kind of going along with that. How long do you feel like it takes you before you have a really good grasp of of what your group is? I mean, obviously, you know, talent wise, what kids can do, but the collective, what they're capable of, what their ceiling is, what's kind of inside. Is it about this time of year? Is it earlier? Does it take even longer? It's a great question. I think it varies from team to team. From the jump this year, we really knew that in order for us to be successful, we had to be a defensive first team. Do we have some offensive pieces? Yes, but uh, I think collectively as a whole, as a staff, and we got immediate buy-in from the guys for the most part. We knew if we want to win at the highest level or have a chance to win at the highest level, we had to be defense first. So I think this year that buy-in happened pretty early, and you know hopefully that continues. But on other teams, it's um, you know it's kind of a, a flip of a coin when you're dealing with 18 to 22, 23-year-olds. You never know what uh, motivations are there. Kids nowadays have so many voices that are in their ears. So you know, as a coach, you really have to get lucky with a good group, with good buy-in. And uh, so far, we have that. How does your focus as a coach change during the season? And what I mean by that is player development, skill development, opponents. You know, is there an ebb and flow of that depending upon where you are on the, in the season? I think there is. I think that we do pride ourselves on skill development. We use film a lot as a tool. I think we watch ourselves more than we watch our opponents. And I think if, if you watch the progression of our teams in past years, you know, you'll see that, you know, the turnovers go down during the year, you know, shooting percentage goes up. And I think that's because we do a good job of presenting the game in a teaching kind of format by using film and, and we get players to buy into that. So I, I think in the in the beginning of the season, there's a little bit of uneasiness when roles are being allocated. Guys might not know exactly where they're going to fit in. And then you get into the non-conference season where, you know, you're challenging yourself against some really good teams to see where you stand. And then, um, you know, we just started conference play here. So what we said to our guys is every possession, you know, that the importance is a little bit heightened now because teams know who we are. We know who teams are. And you really have to go out and, and put a little bit more focus, you know, during the conference play. How often are you surprised? And what I mean by that is by a kid maybe exceeding what you thought possible uh, or on the other end, just never quite getting over a hump that you thought he would clear easily, or by a performance where either good or bad, where you're like, 
I did not see that coming. Or for the most part, do most things fall kind of into a range of, yeah, I kind of figured a little bit, give or take here or there? Yeah, I mean, that's. Um, I, I think there's a give and take. You're, you're always excited to see guys live up to what you expect or exceed expectations. And, you know, if you're working on a particular skill and practice, whether it's as an individual uh, with a player or as a team, you're more excited than surprised to see those things start to be able to be executed on the floor. Um, and obviously there's some times where, you know, as a coach, you might m- make a miscalculation and, uh, you know, expect somebody to be further along than they, than they might be. But, you know, as long as there's that buy-in and that willingness to get better, um, that's that's easily easy to work with. But yeah, I, I think more excited to see guys have success than surprise. I think that would be a more uh, more appropriate way to put it. Do you prefer practice or games? Like if for some reason you could only do one, which way do you games, lean? Do you? Honestly, I, th- I think it's kind of the coachy thing to say is that you love practice, but, you know, practice to an extent is the coach's game. But, you know, I, I believe that the game overall is a player's game. And, you know, as, as coaches, we develop, try to develop the skills in practice, uh, formulate a game plan, do the scouting. And then, you know, it all takes, you know, takes place on the floor. And to be able to see this, the scouting and the game planning and the skill development actually be put to use to me that's my favorite part so let's talk a little bit about your journey were you a basketball kid growing up or were you doing everything that was going on in the neighborhood and in school yeah it was basketball 100 percent for me you know so i grew up in the kind of far northwest suburb uh pottstown pennsylvania not a huge basketball area but enough you know my particular class and and friend group was more you know baseball football so i was the only pure basketball guy but we did play a lot of basketball growing up. But my, my grandfather, who is probably the most influential figure to me, he played basketball at Villanova in the 1950s, stayed active in the alumni and season ticket holder. So that was really, you know, my introduction to basketball was going everywhere with him, whether it's Villanova games, uh, you know, Hank Gathers games in the summer, going to the Donofrio tournament in Conchi. It's just everywhere. I mean, anywhere there was a game, that's where we were. So, you know, my youth might have been a little bit different because it was actually being developed as a student of the game uh, more so than just being a player. Did you realize that that was different as a kid, like that you were starting to look at as a student of the game? Because that sounds like a very coachy thing to say, but not something you would kind of, I don't know if you would completely grasp when you're 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, I, I didn't grasp it. It was kind of just what we did. It was, you know, where where's the best game? Where can we go? Where are the best players playing? And and it's kind of just what what it was growing up. And the the playing part obviously was was fun, but I always looked at it as just, you know, another part of the game of basketball. You know, I'm I'm a teenager, I'm in high school, so I'm playing. But I I think that I was I, I don't know what I would do without the game of basketball. It's just always been a part of me. And I think it's always going to be a part of me. So, you know, I, I just think that my journey in the game is just, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. Do you have a favorite memory with your grandpa with regards to basketball? Yeah, I just think going to those Villanova games, I mean, you know, I was, I was very fortunate to travel with them. You know, we went to the Great Alaska Shootout one time. I uh, went down to Puerto Rico one time with them for those tournaments and um, saw some great games at the Palestra and just all those things just uh, kind of rolled into one. So I, I don't know if I can pick one, but really just going to Madison Square Garden for the Big East tournament was always, always a highlight. So I've been really, really lucky to be, uh, you know, have so many memories in the game that it's hard to pick one. Past that, about the game itself, 
what was it that resonated with you just about basketball? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. I, I think it's just the the, the buzz and the and the crowd. Uh, you know, you walk into a big game, whether it's at the you know what's now the Pavilion or uh, Finneran Pavilion or the Palestra, or the Garden. It's just that buzz that you know the smell of the hot dogs, the popcorns, it's all that stuff. And then you go into a big high school game, and it's just. There's just the buzz, unlike any other. You can see the players. You know, there's a, there's constant teamwork. There's no stoppages. Um, I just think it's the most beautiful game there is. And then just add what this region is with basketball. You know, it's just ingrained into so many different people. It's just it's just almost magical, almost religious. Did you, as a youngster and then as a player, high school and college, do you feel like you looked at the game like a coach? Yeah, I think I looked at it as a coach and also as a fan. Like, even as a high school guy, in the suburbs, I knew who all the best players were and, you know, looking at tedsillery.com and following everything is just, I was just always a junkie. So I, I think that maybe that helped me back as a player because I almost had so much reverence for everything that went around the game. It was, you know, I kind of didn't feel myself worthy maybe, but I, I think that um, I always looked at it as more of a player, more than a player, I should say, uh, more of a, uh, you know, a, a hoop set and a, uh, and, and a fan. How would you scout yourself as a player, high school, and then you played in college at Chestnut Hill? How would you How would you put yourself down on the scout? Oh, I, I would just say, don't let him shoot. <laughs> don't let him shoot. Let him do anything else. And I think a lot of people who play with me would agree with that. But um, no, I was decent moving without the ball. Um, really good shooter. Did enough in other areas of the game to, to be um, competent, but wasn't a great player by any means. But but love to be around the game. But you did play in college at Chestnut Hill. Why uh, Chestnut Hill when you were looking at colleges? Was it basketball or was it more school-driven? It was both. So not too far from home, number one. My family actually had some pretty deep roots there. My grandmother, I guess Mount St. Joseph, was an all-girls high school on the grounds of Chestnut Hill back when she went to high school. So she went there. My great-aunt was a sister of St. Joseph there. My other aunt had gone there at one point, and then they were just starting the program. So Jesse Bowser had been hired my senior year in high school, but the program was going to start the following year. So, you know, he recruited me throughout the year. And, you know, Jesse's such a great guy that we had an instant connection. And I thought it was a really great opportunity to uh, have a unique experience and be part of something on the ground floor. What was it like? kind of being part of that first class because like you say it's unique and it is cool you're kind of writing the record book in real time but I'm sure there's also things that you probably had to deal with as a team and as a player that maybe at other more established places that you know kind of know the routine didn't have to deal with what are your kind of your memories of that yeah so looking back on it we were obviously all figuring out on the fly that was Jesse's first time being a head coach uh, we were pretty much all freshmen I think we might have had one or two guys that had transferred in and had some college experience, but we were all freshmen. Um, so, you know, certain immaturity comes along with that and just kind of learning how to play college basketball. But he did a great job recruiting. He brought in two guys from Cardinal Doherty, from those great Cardinal Doherty teams with, with Kyle Lowry, Bilal Ben, Deshaun White. So uh, Isaac Greer and Sean Bowling were members of that team who were on our team, and they were both amazing players, brought in some other guys from the Philly area. So we had some pretty good success that first year. So I think all things considered, it was, uh, you know, it was a good experience. What are some of your overall favorite memories of your time playing at Chestnut Hill? I think the relationships that, that I built with the guys, um, you know, we, we uh, had, the ex- had the experience of starting a program. And then my senior year, we went Division Two. So just the idea that we went from a new program and then in those three years, we went ahead and made the conference championship in that Division Three league to now going Division Two and starting all over again 
was it tough? Absolutely. But I wouldn't change that experience for anything because looking back on that now, I think it's um, there's a lot of things that were baked into that experience that I lean on now as a coach to impart to my players to just remember in my mind to, uh, you know, to make sure that, that I remember. Did you always figure you were going to coach? Yes, 100%. I thought, like I mentioned before, basketball has always been a part of my life and I can't imagine that it, it won't be. So coaching was the next, um, you know, the next step after playing. And I was really lucky because there was a, a spot on the staff at Chestnut Hill that opened up as soon as I graduated. And, um, you know, Jesse asked me to be a part of it, which I was honored to do. So I was very lucky to kind of luck myself into a uh, Division Two spot as a 23-year-old, which, uh, you know, is, is really rare. So given that, how difficult is it to go from player almost overnight to authority figure, how difficult is it for you and how difficult was it from a dynamic standpoint? Because I'm sure there are guys on the team that you were buddies with if didn't party with, and then all of a sudden you're the one telling them they're not going hard enough in the drill. Was that difficult at first, you know, kind of finding your your rhythm there? Sure, so... That's a unique answer as well. So going into the year, as I mentioned, we went from, from Division three to Division two. So Jesse kind of sat me down and said, look, Dan, I think that if we were staying D3, I think that you could really you know, be on the floor, be an impact player for us. You know, with that being said, we're not going to be real good this year, and we have to have these young kids if we're going to do something you know, in the future, we have to have them get experience. So, you know, you're probably going to start the first few games for your leadership and uh, everything like that. But, you know, don't expect to play too much because simply because this is some something we have to do for the program's success. So uh, I didn't like it at the time, but but at the same time, my role as a senior was more of a leader, more of a shoulder, more of a, you know, the captain role than an actual guy that partied with them and stuff like that. So I think for me, it was a little bit easier considering all that than it it would be for a different situation. As you said, you didn't like it at first, and I think that's a natural reaction for any competitive athlete. How long did it take you to embrace it or to kind of get your arms around what what it meant and and what you could be? It took a while, and I probably... You know, until mid mid year, you always kind of have that in your mind, like I'm going to prove him wrong and I'm going to show. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I, he was absolutely right from a program building standpoint of, of what it meant. So I think probably somewhere mid year, I was like, you know what, I'm going to make the best out of this and I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure that I'm bringing these guys along and, and just doing my job. And it's something I share now because as a coach, when you sign up to you know be the leader of a team, you know, you might have one or two guys during a year that are happy, right? <laughs> Probably your leading scorer, uh, your leading minutes guy, maybe another guy baked in. But everybody else thinks that they should be playing more or, you know, if they're not playing at all, they should be playing. If they're not scoring as much, they want to be scoring. So that's just what it is. So I lean on that experience and I impart that to guys and say, hey, I, I get it. I understand what you're going through. But at the same time, you know, if we want to do something, you have a job to do and you have to do your job, whether you know, you like what the role is or not. So I, I think that, you know, just learning from that and experiencing it, it makes it easier for guys to, uh, you know, to, to be able to buy in now. I think you were four years as an assistant with Jesse at Chestnut Hill. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Biggest lesson you learned that kind of helped set the foundation for you eventually becoming a head coach? So what, what I learned from from Jesse is, you know, I played for him and then coached with him. And um, you just see different sides, obviously as a relationship changes, but, but the way that he just poured into his guys and the way that he cared and the way that if, if he had to make a tough decision, there was nothing rash about it. 
you, you have to consider everything. You don't make any decisions emotionally. Um, whereas, you know, when I was an assistant, not knowing better, I would say, hey, we have to do this. We have to do that. And then he would say, no, no, just relax. You don't understand everything that kind of goes into the decisions I have to make. So um, so that's something I took from him. And then, you know, I've I've been really lucky. Like I played for a great high school coach and Randy Reber. And then I coached with Lua Batista for one year at Camden County College. Um, so those are the three main guys that I was around and and just taking bits and pieces from all those guys kind of formed you know who i am today as a coach we need to take a break on one-on-one we will have more with wilmington university head men's basketball coach dan burke in just a moment but right now there's nothing quite like the honda accord hybrid and the crv hybrid when it comes to exhilarating efficiency with hybrid technology and thrilling capability these vehicles deliver an electrifying performance on every drive this new year discover for yourself what truly makes these hybrids special redefine your driving experience with honda kbb.com's best value brand of 2023 contact your local honda dealer today about the honda accord hybrid and the crv hybrid and now on one-on-one with matt leon let's return to my conversation with wilmington university head men's basketball coach dan burke how long did it take you to as a coach you can tell a kid you can drill a kid you can put it on the board but the kid has to do it how long did it take for you if you are even today comfortable with kind of seeding that control that you can only do so much you can't make the free throw can't make the move for the kid was that a difficult thing to to kind of come to grips with from a coaching standpoint so I, I actually told my staff this this year I believe it was we were up in New York and we were starting the season it was my third year coaching and I was all nervous and I'm like why am I nervous my, my job is kind of done you know we we have our plan uh, we know who we're playing against. At the end of the day, I can be as nervous as I want, but you know the guys are going to w- go out there and play, and whatever's going to be is going to be, and we're going to take whatever happens today and try to get better tomorrow. So I think it was around that, you know, after those first two seasons. Uh, the, the first season was tough at the beginning. Uh, we had a nice little run, made a conference championship. Second year was the op- uh, opposite. We started off really well, and then we ended up not making the playoffs and having a tough year. So at the end of the day, you're right. Coaching, you know, we we have less control than we like to think. So, you know, you just do the best you can. You try to make guys see the benefit and them doing what you're asking them to do. And, uh, you know, just hope that hope that they buy in and, and make it happen on the floor. You mentioned the year at Camden County. And I think that was the kind of a sandwich year between your time at Chestnut Hill and taking over at Wilmington. Uh, what when were you looking to kind of spread your wings a little bit, try something a little different when you moved to Camden County? No, so that was actually out of necessity. My, my wife is from New Jersey, and um, her her father passed away very suddenly. So we were living in the city, and um, you know we we made the decision to go ahead and move move with her mom just to make sure that she was taken care of and, you know, make sure that she was comforted a little bit. So with that being said, being a part-time assistant coach and having a full-time job in the city wasn't going to work going from where we were in New Jersey to uh, Philadelphia every day. So I called everybody in New Jersey, the four-year schools, the junior colleges to try to stay in the game. And uh, Coach Abatista, he was the only one that got back to me. So that's another thing that I learned is, uh, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm sitting right now if someone who didn't know me didn't return my call. So it's not 100%, but I do my best to, if someone reaches out to me, to try to get back to them. And because you never know who you can help. 
it's a different experience, I think, at the county college level from a recruiting standpoint. Obviously, you're looking at a two-year rather than a four-year window. What were some lessons you kind of took from that kind of unique experience that helped you today? Yeah, I mean, people people go to junior college for a different, you know, different reason. Some go for grades. Some go because they want more exposure. Um, some go just because they they don't have any other options. So it w- it was a matter of just you know taking what taking what we were given, do the best we can to recruit. But at the same time, the one year I was there, I didn't really get to do much recruiting because I joined a little late. So um, it was really just a matter of learning the level, um, dealing with all this, all the things that, you know, guys have to deal with life-wise, um, school-wise, and trying to have them manage that as well as the basketball expectations, uh, because it's a lot. And just kind of having a certain amount of empathy for guys and working with them, um, that's something I learned as well. So uh, yeah, so it's a t- it's a tough level to play at. It's a tough level to coach at, but everybody's there to try to, um, you know, try to move on to the next level. So um, yeah, it was a really good experience for that year. How does the opportunity at Wilmington present itself? So obviously Wilmington's in the CACC. Um, so I was an assistant there for four years at Chestnut Hill. So I, I knew a lot of people. Uh, my wife was a head coach in the uh, in the league at Goldie Beacom the year before the Wilmington job opened. So just having those connections, obviously. As an assistant coach, you're looking at hoop dirt every day and whatever job sites to see what the next opportunity is going to be. So it made sense to apply just location wise and knowing the level, knowing the knowing the conference. So um, now I think there was a a round of interviews before I got a call back. So I I was expecting not to not to have a chance. But, uh, you know, they called me on on a certain day and they they said, hey, can you come in tomorrow? Came in and you know, the rest is history. I I just think it's a really good personality fit with the people that work here, myself, you know, and overall, just really good place to be where, where there's a focus on helping people focus on empathy, focus on balance. And it really works with uh, kind of how I I see things as well. How long do you feel like it took you to kind of get your arms around being a head coach? And I, what I mean by that is just how many things come across your desk that you probably don't have to deal with? Because you talked about Jesse telling you, you don't understand all the things, the dynamics that go into the decisions I make. How long did it take you to kind of really get a comfortable feel with everything that went into being a, a collegiate head coach? So I'm still figuring it out, I think. <laughs> I don't know if you ever figure it out. You know, I think the only thing that, that you have to expect is that there's always going to be something that comes up, right? There, there's always, when you're dealing with people, whether it's on a, on a team or at a different job, you're dealing with their emotions, you're dealing with their life situations, you're dealing with their confidence, all those kind of things. So I don't know if you can ever say you have your arms wrapped around it. All you can do is is know that whatever happened today, if everything is quiet, there's going to be something that comes up, right? There's going to be something that happens. And you just have to anticipate it and um, handle it the best way that works for your personality, for your program. You know, I do try to be as empathetic as possible with understanding we also have a job to do. So, you know, I, I think that um, that's just how I try to do things, but understand that it's, it's, there's always going to be something that's unexpected that comes up. Do you remember your first game as head coach? I do. Yeah, I do. I do. It was up at St. Rose. We actually opened up at their tournament this year as well. So a lot of butterflies and it was a really good game. We ended up losing at the end by like eight, I think. But then the next day was really my indoctrination. And funny story too is, you know, as first year head coach, you have all these things you're going to do with your team and 
you know, this plan in the preseason. So we get up there and we're playing a back-to-back. So it's uh, St. Rose and Lemoyne. So we play St. Rose the first day, Lemoyne the second day. So Lemoyne was playing Bloomfield the game before we played St. Rose. So we're sitting there watching the game. And I'm like, oh, no, they play all zone. And we didn't do any zone offense at all. That's like one thing as a head, as a first-time head coach, I didn't even think about. You know, we have all these cool workouts and things like that. And I'm not prepared for a simple zone defense. So needless to say, we got killed that second day, but we, we haven't made that mistake since. When was your first win? And what was the feeling like as the clock's coming down and you've won a collegiate basketball game? First win was at post, eight games in. So we were 0-7. Had some close calls, and then, you know, we finally got the monkey off of our back in that eighth game. And, yeah, I just think it was just relief, just saying, okay, you know, we did it. Um, Now we can kind of move on, and, you know, we just feel a little bit better about ourselves. So then we reeled off a couple straight after that, and then we went back to losing a couple more. And then, like I said, during that year, we got it together a little toward the end. But, yeah, it was absolute relief getting that first win. Ten years, are the the highs as high and the lows as low? Or do you feel like you've found a, a pretty consistent middle ground as you become a more seasoned coach? Yeah, the highs are high, lows are low. But I, I think not as much as, you know, when I got the job at 29, it's like there's so much going on. You want to prove to people that you are worthy to have this, that you do know what you, what you're doing. And I think anytime you have focus on whatever outside influence there might be, that that just adds more pressure and more unneeded just stuff in your mind. So now that, you know, every year you coach, you care less and less a little bit about that. So, you know, I just think just manage, managing the guy's confidence, managing the guy's, you know, the team chemistry and everything. I think that's that's my biggest focus right now. So, you know, the highs are high, the lows are low, but definitely not as much as it was when I first started. Do you love the win or hate to lose more? I love the win. I love the win. I love to see guys have success. Like we talked about before, I love to see the game plan and skill development come to fruition. And um, I love to see the guys enjoy their experience. You know, that's that's what this thing's all about. Before games start, I always say, hey, I can't wait to watch you perform. Let's have some fun. You know, and that's ultimately we're playing a game. Is it serious? Absolutely. Does everybody want to win? Yes. But at the same time, you know, you want to do it with some joy and, and, and gratitude for the, for the opportunity. Do you remember the first time as a coach when something you implemented really worked or something you had worked with a kid on the side translated to them doing something in a game for the first time? Like that real kind of personal impact on a game. Is there, was there one or two from early in your career that just really stand out as like, wow, this is what it's all about? a great question so I'll, I'll answer it two ways the first thing that comes to mind is that first year we, you know we had a a win streak there of four games and and just seeing that belief begin to be apparent with the guys because that's the hardest thing to change the hardest thing to change in in sports definitely in basketball i'm guessing all sports is just the belief that you can have success when the results aren't there yet right and and the culture is not there yet so just seeing guys start to believe in what you've been preaching all year, like you are good enough. We can do this. You know, it's just kind of holistically. That was really big. Um, that was fun. But then during that season, we had a semifinal win in the conference tournament against uh, Holy Family, who was tremendous, coached by R.C. Kehoe and really, really good players. You know, they were, you know, a regional force back then. And we had a specific strategy because they shot a lot of threes. So we wanted to get out on shooters and rotate a certain way. And I remember watching that game, you know, it might not have looked like anything to the regular person watching, but we executed the rotation perfectly. You saw everybody on the bench just, yeah, 
you know, so um, that's that's one thing that jumps out to mind just schematically and, you know, implementing something in a big game and just kind of seeing it work. Do you feel like you've changed as a coach over the years? Or do you feel like you're genuinely, you approach it and your demeanor is basically the same now as when you started? I think I've stayed the, stayed the same personally, but I think that my perspective has changed. And I alluded to it earlier, is just, you know, there's, there's less of a care about, you know, what people might think from the outside. Do people think you're a good coach? When I think you're a good coach, like that kind of stuff really doesn't matter to me anymore. And I also think with when you're young, you don't know where your career is going to go. So you're always wondering what if. And, you know, I think that now I'm so comfortable where we are. I love being where we are. So it's just a matter of staying laser focused on what you're doing in the moment, probably more so now than when I when I started. There's just less noise and um, less things to worry about, you know, now as a, as a little bit more tenured coach. You mentioned earlier your wife, Beth Ann, also a coach, also in the conference at Goldie Beacom. How'd you guys meet? We met at Chestnut Hill. So she played at Chestnut Hill. She was a year ahead of me, and um, I played there. So we met there and started dating there and ended up getting married in 2011. Funny story is first time we played one-on-one together, she busted my lip with an elbow. So that, <laughs> that's how I knew she was the one for me. Do you guys talk a ton of basketball or do you kind of try to stay away from it because you're so immersed in it professionally? Or is it something that really you guys enjoy spending time talking about at home? We do talk about it. I, I think just personality wise, you know, I, I'm someone who's a little bit more introverted. She's a, she's a little bit more talkative. So just naturally, she talks a little bit more than I do. But we both share what we're going through. Not so much X's and O's, but more, you know, the real part of coaching, right? Like managing um you know, administrative stuff or confidence in players, uh, team chemistry, things like that. So um, we talk about it, but it's not it's not all we talk about. But um, it's such a big part of our lives. You know, it's just it's something we can both relate to. So, yeah, we, we talk about it, but it's not all we talk about. And it's interesting because not just you guys are coaches at the same level, but within the same conference. So there's an incredible understanding of the context of what your going through not just like the competition but also what's expected from a paperwork standpoint as a basketball coach of the CACC stuff like that that's got to be fascinating to kind of have that sounding board right in your house of somebody who truly can understand what you're trying to do a problem that presents itself stuff like that yeah absolutely and and we both have different responsibilities on campus as well so she's forget if she's assistant athletic director or associate athletic director but regardless so she handles a lot of the academics and uh, things like that at Goldie Beacom. And, and I have a job. I work with the Dean of Students here um, at Wilmington. So, and it's not just, so it's not just basketball, it's being employees at, you know, small colleges and, you know, things that can come up, you know, just administratively and just professionally. So she, uh, she definitely makes me better. She, um, you know, she's a really hard worker. She has ultimate belief in herself, which is sometimes something I struggle with. So I've, I've become a more confident person because of her, you know, and I hope I, I've helped her out in ways that, that, you know, she helps me. How do your styles differ from a purely from a coaching standpoint? You talked about she's a little more talkative and and things like that. But how else would you guys compare, contrast your coaching styles? I think I'm a little more intense on the sideline than she is. I, I don't really like see it, but a lot of people say, hey, "Well, you're intense on the sideline." So, you know, I, I just I just want to win so bad for the guys out there that I guess that's that kind of comes across sometimes. And she's very mellow; like she never talks to officials. So, as uh, introverted as I am off the floor. Um, I'm maybe a little more extroverted during the game. And I think for her, vice versa. So it's uh, an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic that way. 
favorite part of what you do? Yeah, so my favorite part, I think, is um, I love the relationships that we have with guys after after they graduate. You know, it's it's really cool to develop guys while they're here with whatever they need. Because when, when someone comes to you, whether it's a transfer or, or a um, an 18-year-old kid, you know, they, they, they have certain development needs and, and you try to help them, whether it's socially, academically, athletically. So you see the progress, but then you also see the finished product after, right? So being invited to weddings and having those relationships. And we have a lot of alums come back and, and come to games and come to practices. And to me, that's that's my favorite part um, in terms of the relationships. And then um, I also I love game planning. I love scouting, you know, just um trying to think of the best way to attack a problem, which is, you know, beating an opponent and, you know, implementing a game plan. To me, there's nothing better than number one, getting the buy-in from the players to execute a game plan. And number two, seeing it happen on the floor and hopefully getting, getting that result that you want. So I think relationship wise, kind of holistically, but also X and O wise, just game planning and and scouting and and, uh, strategizing. Dan Burke, thanks so much for doing this. This was great. A lot of fun, Matt. Thank you. And that will do it for this episode of one-on-one with Matt Leon sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Get a deal. You'll like on a Honda. You'll love Want to thank Wilmington university head men's basketball coach, Dan Burke for being our guest this week. This was our 200th episode. Hard to believe. And want to thank you for joining us along the way. If you listen on Apple podcasts, please do us a favor. Leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on the platform formerly known as Twitter. Now, known as x at one-on-one pod you can follow me there as well at matt leon 1060 thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about